This podcast is produced by EnergeticCity.ca, your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To support local news and this podcast, go to EnergeticCity.ca slash join to find out more. The oil slipped 7% on the week at 10,400 tonnes. Rounding off prices at the Chicago Board of Trade, soybean futures are higher on Friday morning. The January contract gained six cents at twelve twenty-eight per bushel. December soy oil is up about by a tenth of a cent at fifty-nine point two three U.S. cents per pound. December soy meal increases four dollars eighty cents at three forty-nine thirty per short ton. Corn futures are higher on Friday morning, with the December contract up two cents at five seventy-two per bushel. Chicago oats are higher as well, with the December contract gaining one and a half cents at 7.27. Wheat futures are slightly higher on Friday morning. Chicago December gains a penny at 8.13. Kansas City December bumps up a quarter cent at 8.28. And Minneapolis December is up one and a half cents at 10.55. That's a look at the ice futures and the Chicago markets for Friday morning, November 12th. For Markets Farm in Winnipeg, I'm Glenn Halleck. This year's Value Bonanza Sale event at Butler Farm Equipment in Fort St. John gives you more ways to save. Save big with 0% financing and cashback offers on select New Holland tractors, hay and forage products, and materials and handling equipment. These offers end December 31st, so make the trip to Butler Farm Equipment in Fort St. John today. You get more choices and more savings when you buy during Value Bonanza. For commercial use only, customer participation subject to credit qualification and CNH, Industrial Capital Canada Limited approval standard terms conditions and other restrictions apply down payment may be required the opinions expressed during this show do not represent those of this station if you've missed any of this show you can follow the podcast at energeticcity.ca now an in-depth look at the news and information shaping our community this is moose talks with your host doug craig on moose fm Good morning and welcome to another edition of the show. We have just one guest today because I was lucky enough on the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation to have a tour uh, hosted by this guest of the Saquaw Caves, the Charlie Lake Cave, and we got to dig in a little bit about the um, archaeological significance of it, just the significance of the area in general. It was fascinating, and uh, they're kind of on the up and up with the Saquaw Heritage Society, which is still pretty new, and so I thought we'd talk to their new executive director, who's pretty new to the role, all about everything uh, Saquaw today on the show. So joining me now uh, from Charlie Lake is Alyssa Curry, the executive Director of the Saqua Heritage Society. Alyssa, thank you so much for being on Moose Talks today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to, to chat with you today. So I thought before we dig into the cave, we'd talk a bit about you and uh, kind of what you're about. How did you come to work for the Heritage Society? Well, I was born and raised in Dawson Creek, so I'm from the Peace Region. Mm-hmm. And uh, like many locals from our community, I had actually never heard of Saqua or the Charlie Lake Cave until, in my case, I went off to university and I was really surprised to hear that this significant archaeological site was right in my backyard and I had no idea it existed. So uh, it was through a couple university degrees later that I was led into a career in cultural heritage and most recently working in the Grand Prairie area. And 
Luckily enough, uh, a few months ago, I had the opportunity to join the Sequa team as their very first staff member. And I've been very fortunate to be welcomed by the Indigenous communities as a non-Indigenous person to come and to learn more about this really important site and to hopefully share it with all of the community and eventually all of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you tell us a bit about the society itself? It's It's fairly new, isn't it? So, yes and no. Um, The property itself was purchased in 2012, and that was by the three nations that now make up the Sequoia Heritage Society, Doig River First Nation, Prophet River First Nation, and West Moberly. And the society itself was actually set up in 2015, a few years later, uh, with a means of setting up a a museum and interpretive center to share the cave and preserve the cave with the community. Uh, So it's kind of been around since 2015, but it's really in the last couple of years that we've started to gain momentum. In 2019, the Sequoia site was designated a National Historic Site by Parks Canada. And uh, in the last year, we've picked up a lot of momentum as we've started receiving some some funding support from various levels of government and Northern BC tourism and other resources that now eventually we've we've hired our first staff member, myself, uh, this summer, and we're really moving forward at what feels like a very quick pace now. Mm -hmm. Well, let's uh, talk about the cave itself. I think the first thing that really struck me about this cave, because I had heard about it not long after I moved here, was that I thought, okay, a cave with uh, some archaeological uh, significance, it's going to be hidden away, like in the hills. You have to hike up to get to it, maybe a half hour or something. (laughs) No, I mean, you can't see it from the highway, but you can look at the hill it's in from the highway. It's right there. It's literally in somebody's backyard or was at one time. Uh, people can sort of access it. So it's it's not something that's hidden away. It's literally right there, kind of surrounded. <laughs> the community of Charlie it's Lake. It's Charlie Lake's it. best kept secret that isn't such a secret. Uh, I always tell people you can see our TPs from the highway. Mm-hmm. It's, it's fascinating. Um, let's get down to the cave itself because it... I, I mean, I'll, I'll admit full on everything about this is fascinating to me. Uh, how long has it been used? Do they do archaeological? Uh, do you guys think it's been in use anyway? Uh, so we know from the indigenous oral histories that the cave has been used, we say, since time immemorial. Mm-hmm. Um We know from an archaeological perspective that the cave has been inhabited and used continuously or nearly continuously for over 12,000 years. 12,500 is about the the number that we that we put to it. Um, And that's really significant from an archaeological perspective, because not only does it confirm the Denizal oral histories that that say, for example, that the people have been living here since the time of the Oninechi, the giant animals, mm-hmm. uh, which we would now call something like a mammoth or an ancient bison. Uh, but the the cave has been used all, all of that time, and that's what makes it significant from an archaeological perspective. So it is not only uh, undisturbed, all of those layers are protected by a, a stone gully that is directly in front of the cave, and that means that we have lots of opportunity uh, to to literally dig into the layers and to see what's there. And what they found are some really significant archaeological uh, records and, and evidence that we 
are now just really starting to to fully understand. Mm -hmm. Do you have a clear idea of some of the things the cave was used for? I mean, you can imagine, of course, shelter. Uh, but, uh, you know, given sort of the things you found, can we say it was used for one thing all times or has it been kind of had multiple uses over uh, time immemorial? That's a great question. And one of the things that we can speculate on, but of course we, we don't know for certain, um, is that the site was used for a variety of purposes through the centuries uh, and through the generations. Uh, the oral history that we have from the Deneza people say that it was used as part of the seasonal rounds in our region, which is to say that many of the indigenous communities did not stay in one location for the entire year. They moved around as resources were available, for example, uh, fish being abundantly available from Charlie Lake, especially in the springtime, uh, and, and maybe moving on to another piece later on. Uh, but based on some of the archaeological evidence, we do know, for example, uh, or at least we can speculate, that the cave was used for ritual acts. We found two uh, fully articulated uh, raven skeletons that uh, are placed over a thousand years apart in the archaeological record. So it not only shows that the cave was used not only once, but repeatedly for very similar ritual acts that we can use the Deniza oral history to attribute to those cultural and spiritual connections that continue to this day. The, the spiritual connection to the cave still continues um, today. And one of the things that I think is really interesting about the cave and certainly a misconception I had before I moved here was that the cave for, for many thousands of years was actually not easily accessible by humans. It was located at the top of a gully uh, several feet off the ground, which means it would have been actually very difficult to access on a regular basis. Uh, but the space in front of the cave certainly was. Um, the space above the cave was, and that's why we're hoping to do some archaeological excavations, hopefully next year, and the entire surrounding area. And so when we talk about Saqua and the Charlie Lake Cave, we're really talking about the Saqua site, and that includes the, the surrounding area as well. Mm -hmm. So in other words, it's, it's not just the cave that's important. It's everything around it and sort of the significance of the area that the cave happens to be in. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, I wonder, uh, I apologize if this is a curveball, but I'm wondering if you know from a geological perspective if this is the right sort of tact at it. Do we know anything about maybe how the cave came to be formed in the first place? Do we know why it's there? We do. So, um the, the cave, we think, was formed around the end of the last ice age, sometime before approximately 12,500 years ago. Um, and it was created as the, the glacial sheets are receding off of North America. Charlie Lake, which at the time was about four times the size that it is now, it's a huge glacial lake, is starting to slowly recede as the ice is melting off of the landscape. And what we think happened is that the sandstone rock that is currently in front of the cave, we we call it the parapet, uh, breaks off from the rest of the rock face or the rest of the cliff face and slides down the hill. And it's during that process that, A, the opening of the cave is exposed, and also that it creates that really nice gully in front of the cave, which over the next at least 12,500 years fills up with sediment and dirt to create those really nice archaeological layers. 
I see. Fascinating. All right. So we know people have been there through oral history and now confirmed through archaeological evidence for 12,000 or more years. Um, what prompted kind of the the first excavation that happened in the 70s? Because I also found it surprising when I was learning about it that it wasn't until that long ago that somebody actually dug and found something there and said, this is a really important area we should be doing something about it. Absolutely. So the excavations happened as kind of a convenient byproduct, uh, actually, of the construction of the original dams, the W.C. Bennett Dam, mm -hmm. and the surveys of the valley that were being completed as part of that archaeological survey. So it was during the 70s, 1974, that uh, a group of archaeologists aided by local individuals, including a local young First Nations man. And it was him that shared with the, the archaeologists that were visiting, hey, we, we have this cave in our community. Would you like to go and see it? And of course, they were very interested. And so they came and did the very first test pit or, or hole uh, in front of the cave. And they found not a ton of evidence just in that very first hole. They hit um, rock almost immediately, but they found enough to prompt them to come back in future years. And it was during the 80s and 90s that the full-scale archaeological excavations took place. Um, but of course, the local community members knew about this. Uh, they talk about some of the, the ice cream garbage that was left behind in the uh, upper layers of the sediment from people treating this as a great place to grab an ice cream and come for a picnic uh, <laughs> as recently as the 1950s and 60s. So the local community certainly knew about the cave. The local indigenous community knew about the, the deep cultural significance of the cave. But you're right, archaeologists uh, only formally documented it in 1974 and then moving forward into the 80s and 90s did those full excavations. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned a test hole. Just out of curiosity, I mean, what, what does that look like? like is it kind of a inch wide or something and how dig do how deep do they dig when they do something like that or in this so case? it's changed through the years but in, in this case a test pit would be about a meter by a meter and okay. down several feet in the case of the very first test hole that was dug at Sequa, uh they didn't go very far before they reached rock mm -hmm. um because of course we now know that there's uh, various rocks under the the gully that is located but uh for example next summer when we hope to do some archaeological excavations here they will be one meter by one meter squares uh dug straight down until hopefully you hit bedrock Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about, I mean, what are some of the things they, they found in this uh, test pit and then uh, in excavations that came afterwards? So in archaeological terms, we often get excited about the oldest things. And so, um, of course, uh, so some of the things that were really exciting about Saqua uh, were the fact that they presented some of the oldest evidence of certain things. Mm -hmm. So, for example, they found a small stone bead. And that was really significant because at the time, and I believe still to this day, it was the oldest evidence of human adornment, the oldest evidence of jewelry anywhere in Canada. Wow. And yeah, that's that's really exciting. And particularly when I talk with kids on the site, they they think of the people that lived here as cave people or as um, primitive. And what they need to understand is that these are 
people just like you and I who celebrate with their community, who make jewelry to to make themselves feel beautiful and celebrate uh, this space. Uh, we also talked about the, the ravens that were found. Mm-hmm. These were significant because they appear to have documented a spiritual connection and spiritual ritual associated with the cave. Uh, One of the things that I find really exciting are the obsidian tools that were located in the cave for a couple reasons. Firstly, because they document um, really ancient connections to this place and some some of the most ancient stone tools found again in in Canada, but that they also can be used now with modern technology to trace where those stone tools came from. So we have stone artifacts in the Peace region made from obsidian that was sourced as far north as Alaska and as far south as the Dakotas. Wow, that's so fascinating. Uh, With technology now, you can really find a a lot more information. One of the the artifacts that was found also was a a human jawbone that we're currently having radiocarbon dated to find more information about. Wow, wow, amazing. All right, well, we're going to take a quick commercial break here, but we're going to talk more about uh, the Saqua Caves with Saqua Heritage Society Executive Director Alyssa Curry right after this on Moose Talks. Safety in the workplace is a high priority. At AAA Field Services, they offer a variety of courses including first aid, standard first aid, confined space rescue, and fire extinguisher training. Plus, a fall protection course that covers how to safely work at heights and an H2S Alive course to learn how to work safely in and around hydrogen sulfide environments. Plus, mention the code word safety and get 10% off your course. AAA Field Services on Alaska Road in Fort St. John. Visit AAA Field services.ca What's all this stuff? Oh, I'm just making a pile to be recycled and FSJ return it. I'm pretty sure they don't take all this. Sure they do. They accept small appliances, cell phones, computers, printers, power tools, even gaming systems. Nope, not happening. Come on, it's 30 years old. You barely play it. And you have to bang on it for it to even work. What's your point? FSJ Return Recycles a lot more than you think. Open six days a week on 93rd Avenue. For the full list, visit their Facebook page at FSJ Return It. From November 1st to 21st, $1 from every order placed on the Subway app will help feed kids in communities like yours. Thanks to Subway's Never Miss Lunch program. In partnership with Food Banks Canada's After the Bell program, Subway Never Miss Lunch will help provide fresh food to children in need. By ordering with the Subway app this November, you're helping to ensure that kids across Canada never miss lunch. From November 1st to 21st, Subway Canada will donate $1 per app or online order up to $125,000 Canadian to Food Banks Canada. From your head right down to your toes, a perfect nail and spa has great discounts on all kinds of services you'll love. Right now, get a full set of eyelashes for just $100. Treat yourself to a deluxe full pedicure for only $75. Full nail fills are on for $50 and a full set of gel nails are on for $55. Save 30 a perfect nail and spa, your full service salon and spa with over 28 years of experience. Walk-ins are always welcome. 100 Street next to Brown Social House. Watch this show live on Facebook or download the podcast at energeticcity.ca. Welcome back to Moose Talks. I'm Dub Craig. We're talking with Alyssa Curry, the executive director of the Saqua Heritage Society, all about the Saqua Charlie Lake Caves and the area and the uh, significance of them. Well, we kind of talked about the excavations that happened uh, in the 70s and, and beyond, kind of when we left off. And uh, you guys 
have some of the items and some items kind of from uh, other areas kind of nearby on display now, kind of in the house near the uh, Sequoia Caves that people can see, correct? Absolutely. So we have a, a few resources that are available for visitors to come and, and access. One of the things that we're really excited about right now is the display that's uh, a traveling exhibit from BC Hydro's Cultural Heritage uh, Resource Committee. And that features artifacts from all around the Peace Region excavated mm-hmm. during the construction of Site C. We also have a number of artifacts uh, and reproductions of artifacts from around the region. For example, uh, I'm going to hold up for you. We've got a a stone tool uh, that is made from obsidian sourced from Alaska, and I also have with me uh, the reproduction of that exact same stone tool. And I'm actually keeping the stone tool in its plastic case because the the reproduction is so good. In fact, I fear a little bit that I may mix the two up. But these are really (laughs) fantastic resources, uh, especially for school-aged children. They want to come and they want to see the artifacts and they want to feel what these were like and what what the people that have been living here since 12,500 years ago uh, really experienced when they created these tools. Fascinating. Um, And you were saying, we were just talking in the commercial, I mean, I said, well, was that stone uh, tool carried from Alaska or uh, South Dakota or North Dakota, I should say? You said it could be that or trade routes that were existing at the time. I mean, people were trading with each other. Absolutely. So the the Deniza uh, language is part of a larger Athabascan and Dene speaking people. Mm -hmm. And we see the Dene language spanning that that entire region as far north as Alaska and certainly northern Canada, all the way down into the United States. And when we see those linguistic similarities, it's pretty clear that there was a relationship there and we don't know exactly uh, what that relationship was but it could have been trading it could have been culture it could have been intermarriage Uh, there's some really interesting linguistic studies about the linguistic differences even within our own region of the Denisa language but these are people that really had extensive relationships throughout North America and it's really I think causing people to reconsider what the ancient people of Canada and North America were really like. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about the kind of the immediate future here, because as I said, you guys do offer some tours now. We'll talk about how people can get on that in just a second. Um, but what are the kind of the plans that the Heritage Society has for the Sequoia Caves? You kind of want to develop the area a little bit more, right? Absolutely. So the cave was was purchased and the society established with a long-term goal of setting up really a world-class museum and interpretive center to share not only Sequa and the cave, um, but also the Deniza language and culture and stories that have been attributed to the cave with our community and with the world. So in the, the immediate future, in the short-term future, you're going to see lots of exciting things from us in the next year. Uh, we're building, for example, new accessible outhouses and interpretive trails to increase accessibility and safety for our visitors. We also are building a new geodesic dome that's going to be on front of the site and is going to be used both for artifact storage as well as educational purposes. And one of the things I'm really excited about is that we're also building an outdoor amphitheater and that's going to be able to be used by classes and tour groups when they come for storytelling, for lectures, and maybe even some drumming. 
Fascinating. Um, I have to ask this because I know, of course, you go to Saquon and there's, you know, some old graffiti on the area. It is, of course, um, it's there's no real hindrance to going to it right now. You know, you can climb up there. People can get access to it when you don't want them to. Um, what's kind of the plan for the society in that? I mean, I think I, if I remember right in the tour, there's kind of, kind of like a hesitancy to kind of block everything off. But, you know, if that has to happen to preserve the site, you might do so. Absolutely. So our first goal as a society and as the owners of the property are is education rather than enforcement. Mm-hmm. As you mentioned, there has been a lot of graffiti and unauthorized access to the site. And that's understandable. People are curious. People are maybe natural artists and want to leave their mark on a site, but they don't understand that this is a deeply significant cultural and spiritual place and that the damage they're doing is potentially irreparable. So we are trying to take the route of of education, and that includes putting up some signage at, for example, the bottom trails. We do ask that people visit the site from the top of the property rather than the bottom. Uh, And we're hoping that as public awareness of the cave and its importance grows, that that will naturally subside. We really don't want to put up fences and erect barriers. We want to verbally and and physically communicate a sense of welcoming to the place that this is a place that we are preserving not only for the community's benefit but for everyone's benefit so we hope that as the community better understands the value of this place that that will naturally lessen okay all right let's talk about the now then you're somebody who's interested in seeing this site maybe by yourself with your family you're a local teacher who wants to uh maybe uh show the students the area how can we access it? Uh, what, what do we have to do? What's the protocol? So really easy. We just ask that people get in touch with myself or the society, either via email, uh, telephone. Uh, we can share that uh maybe in the comments section. Uh, We also just recently set up a new Facebook page. So that's another avenue that people can contact us and let us know that you'd come to visit. There is no charge for coming to visit, although if you'd like to make a donation to the society, obviously it would be appreciated. And yeah, it's, it's as simple as coming and letting us know when you'd like to visit. We'll set something up. You come from the top of the property and we will, we'll be happy to share the space with you and happy to set something up. Uh, Teachers, especially, we definitely welcome anybody who would like to learn more and who would like to share that learning with others okay and can you visit kind of year round or are you kind of waiting for the spring summer fall you sure can if you're determined i truthfully i haven't been down to the cave yet in the snow we'll see how difficult that is but (laughs) uh we definitely it would be more accessible during the summer but if you're determined enough we we would welcome you anytime Excellent. Well, Alyssa, I'm really grateful that you took a few minutes to chat with us about this. It's it's fascinating and very cool. And everyone, when you get a chance, you should go get uh, get in touch with Alyssa, have her uh, tell you a few things about the cave, take you down there. It's very cool to check out. Thanks for being here, Alyssa. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. That's Alyssa Curry, the executive director of the Saqua Heritage Society. We'll be right back to wrap things up right after this on Moose Talks. Change is constant. 
At Arctic Welding and Machining, change has focused on sustainability, using new technologies and solutions to cut our carbon footprint. We've switched to recycled glass blasting material and have upgraded our diesel air compressors to electric to reduce airborne pollutants. For 22 years, Arctech has been on the forefront of industry changes, evolving, upgrading, and remaining fast, friendly, reliable. Visit arctech-welding.com. Hiking, walking, backpacking, or just generally being outdoors. If you're the exploring type, you need footwear that can keep up. Backcountry has just what you need. Stop in a backcountry today and check out their selection of Loa socks designed specifically for exploring the great outdoors. Loa socks are well established in Europe and are known for their excellent fit and exceptional comfort. Every sock features a range of technologies and details from padding and cushioning to functional design. We all know that good socks need good boots. Backcountry has those too. Check out their lineup of Gore-Tex boots that will go perfectly with your lowest socks. If you spend a lot of time outdoors, investing in a good pair of reliable Gore-Tex boots will be worth it. Nobody wants wet feet or to come back from a long hike with a load of blisters. Gore-Tex gets that, so they've designed breathable, waterproof footwear you'll love. Get your lowest socks and Gore-Tex boots from Backcountry, where we help you enjoy the great outdoors. Visit Backcountry Fort St. John on Facebook or BackcountryFSJ.com. What's all this stuff? Oh, I'm just making a pile to be recycled and FSJ return it. I'm pretty sure they don't take all this. Sure they do. They accept small appliances, cell phones, computers, printers, power tools, even gaming systems. Nope, not happening. Come on, it's 30 years old. You barely play it. And you have to bang on it for it to even work. What's your point? FSJ Return Recycles a lot more than you think. Open six days a week on 93rd Avenue. For the full list, visit their Facebook page at FSJ Return It. Can-Do Oil Field Services is a privately owned pipeline and facility installation company in Fort St. John. They strongly believe in executing all their jobs, functions, in a safe, cost-effective, timely manner. Can-Do Oil Field Services is a proud supporter of the oil and gas industry. If you feel like you're drowning in debt, just know you aren't alone. The licensed insolvency trustees at Beverly & Associates have helped over 10,000 people in northern B.C. put debt behind them for good. They proudly live in the north and have been helping the area for over 25 years. Consultations are always free, whether it's over the phone or in person. A fresh financial start is closer than you think. Visit DebtHelpBC.com for more information. We are Beverly & Associates, and we can help. Our community first. This is Moose Talks with Dub Craig on Moose FM. Welcome back to the show. We want to thank Alyssa Curry for joining us today to chat all about Saqua. It's a fascinating conversation. If you missed it, it'll be available in video form shortly on the Moose FM and EnergeticCity.ca Facebook pages. You can also download the podcast version over at energeticcity.ca slash podcast. We won't be doing Moose Talks next week as we'll be live on location for the 18th annual Ryerson Contracting Light of Moose fundraiser for the Fort St. John Hospital Foundation. We're aiming to raise $100,000 for an upgraded patient monitoring system for the ER and inpatient units, and we need your help. So from next Wednesday until Friday, stop by our trailer in the Murray GM parking lot and drop off a donation for the foundation. North River Midstream is donation matching for the first $20,000. And Mustang Rentals is donation matching the next $20,000. So I'm 
confident we can blow past our $100,000 goal. Join us for the 18th annual Ryerson Contracting Light Moose Fundraiser live on November 17th to the 19th in the Murray GM parking lot. Well, that does it for this episode of Moose Talks. Trey Lopashinsky is the producer. I'm Dub Craig. Be well. Join us next Friday at 10 a.m. for another episode of Moose Talks, a weekly talk show about Fort St. John and the North Peace. Here we see the Canadian moose preparing to hibernate for the winter. This massive creature will soon take shelter within the trees, too. Wait a minute, moose don't hibernate, and neither do we. The Backcountry Winter Cruiser will be out in the community all winter long. We'll be busy roaming around the Peace Region this winter, checking out local events, fundraisers, and much more. Do you have an event you want us to check out? Email us at cruiser at moosefm.ca. The Backcountry Winter Cruiser. Powered by the North Peace Leisure Pool, Magmar Maintenance, Home Hardware, Micro Consulting Sales and Service, and Mechanical. And a staffing services. Energetic country, energetic country. One hundred point one moose FM. I wouldn't mind being alone. I wouldn't keep checking my phone. Wouldn't take the long way home just to drive myself crazy. I wouldn't be losing sleep, remembering everything, everything you said to me like I'm doing lately. You, you wouldn't be all, all that I want, baby I could let go. If I didn't love you, I'd be good by now, I'd be better than barely getting by somehow. Sometimes wouldn't have to fake a smile, play it off and tell a lie. And somebody asked how I've been I'm trying to find someone new. It should be something I can do. Maybe if it weren't for you, I wouldn't be in the state that yeah, I you, you wouldn't be all, all that I want. Maybe I could let go if I
Sitting at the same red light. Tuesdays, more of the same damn thing. Working that nine to five. If you're an ex girlfriend, the IRS or my mama looking for me. On a Friday night, I ain't hard to find. You know where I'll be. You can find me in a bar, on a stool, with some crown in my cold court and ice cold brew. Talking to the girls. Like the neon, you can find me with a drink in my hand, in a honky tonk with the country band. And if I ever go missing, you won't have to look too far. You can find me in a bar. All right. If it's Sunday morning, 11 a.m., I'll be sitting in the last rope you. Listening to the word like I ain't hungover. Preacher man knows the truth. If I ain't at work, Baptist church, and there's a family emergency. The doors are all locked and the lights are off. There's only one place I might be. You can find me in a bar, on a stool, with some crown in my cold court and ice cold brew. Talking to the girls, buzzing like the neon. Find me with a drink in my hand, in a honky tonk with the country band. And if I ever go missing, you won't have to look too far. You can find me in a bar. Thanks for listening to this energeticcity.ca podcast. Energeticcity.ca is your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To help keep us independent and to support this podcast, go to energeticcity.ca slash join.